Section 10 of History of the Jews in Russia and Poland, Volume 3, From the Accession of Nicholas II Until the Present Day, by Shimon Dubnov, translated by Israel Friedlander. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by S.S. Kim, Manik Baisho, Portugal. Chapter 35, The Revolution of 1905 and the Fight for Emancipation. Part 1. 1. The Jews in the Revolutionary Movement The political spring, manifesting itself in the attempt of the government, headed by Sviatopolk Mirsky, to establish friendly relations with the liberal elements of Russia, gave the first impetus to an open movement for political emancipation. The liberal conspirators, who had hitherto been secretly dreaming of a constitution gave public utterance to this tabooed aspiration. In November 1904, the Conference of Zemstvo Workers, assembled in St. Petersburg, adopted a resolution pointing out the anomaly of the political order of Russia, which is founded on autocracy, and proclaiming the necessity of associating the representatives of the people in the work of legislation. About the same time, a large mass meeting, which took the form of a public banquet, attended by lawyers and literateurs, adopted a similar resolution, calling for the repeal of all national and denominational restrictions. Taking advantage of the temporary relaxation of police despotism, the press spoke up more boldly, while the better elements of the population began to organize themselves in all kinds of public bodies. The government was slow in making concessions and harshly condemned the boisterous assemblages which called for changes in the unshakable foundations of our political order. Nevertheless, an imperial ukase published on December 12, 1904, promised a number of partial reforms improvement of the legal status of the peasantry, enlargement of the activities of the Zemstvos, the establishment of a state insurance for working men, relaxation of the severities of police and censorship, and likewise a revision of the laws restricting the rights of aliens with the retention of those provisions only which are called forth by the genuine interest of the state and the manifest needs of the Russian people. It is almost needless to add that the latter clause held forth no promises to the Jews, for their disfranchisement could always be justified by the genuine interest of the state, a state built upon the foundations not of law but of police force. The carrying into effect of the promised semi-reforms were entrusted to a bureaucratic body the Committee of Ministers. The services of the popular representatives were repudiated. The new movement for liberty forced further concessions from Russian officialdom, but these concessions could only be wrested from it in small doses and were granted only after a desperate resistance. The bloody Sunday of January 9, 1905, marked the beginning of the open revolution in which social, economic, and political demands were interwoven with one another. The demonstration of the striking working men of St. Petersburg, 
who marched in immense numbers to Winter Palace to present a petition to the Tsar for economic and political reforms ended in a tragedy. The petitioners who marched with cross in their hands under the leadership of the priest and demagogue Garpon were received with a shower of bullets, resulting in a large number of victims from among the participants in the demonstration as well as from among the public. There were also several Jews among them, a first aid nurse, a dentist, a pharmacy student, and a journalist. This scandalous conduct of the Tsar, who replied with bullets to a peaceful appeal for reforms, led to a series of demonstrations, labor strikes, and terrorist acts in the provinces. In the Western government and in the Kingdom of Poland, the Jews played a conspicuous role in the revolutionary movement, counting as they did a large number of organized workingmen. In Odessa, a Jewish workingman by the name of Stillman fired at the chief of police and wounded him, January 19. In Mogilev, a Jewish youth made a vain attempt upon the life of the local chief of police, who was accused of having instigated the pogrom which had taken place there in the fall of 1904. These incidents served in the hands of the reactionary government. Sviatopolk Mirsky had been dismissed for his excessive leaning toward liberalism as an excuse for continuing its oppression of the Jews as the ringleaders of the revolution. The president of the Committee of Ministers, Witte, was the only one who advocated a different point of view. At the meeting of the committee, held on September 11, he contended that the hostile attitude towards the government, now noticeable among the Jews, is due to the sad material conditions in which the bulk of Russian Jewry lives, being weighed down by the pressure of restrictive laws. Vita prophesied that the police authorities would be bound to fight with redoubled zeal against the anti-government activity of the Jews until the amelioration of the condition of the aliens promised in the UK of December 12th would be carried into effect. 2. The struggle for equal rights Notwithstanding these pleas, the government was slow in realizing even the moderate reforms which had been outlined in the imperial UKs. In the meantime, the representatives of Russian jury had decided to place before it their own more comprehensive demands. In February 1905, several mass petitions demanding equal rights for Jews were addressed to Vite, a petition signed by 32 Jewish communities, St. Petersburg, Vilna, Kovno, Homel, Berdychev, and others began with these words. The measures adopted for the last 25 years towards the Russian Jews were designed with the deliberate end in view to convert them into a mass of beggars, deprived of all means of sustenance and of the right of education and human dignity. Consistency and comprehensiveness marked the system of oppression and violence which was skillfully planned and carefully executed. The entire machinery of the state was directed to one end, that of making the life of the Jews in Russia impossible. The petition repudiates the idea, voiced in the UK of December 12, 1904, 
of a gradual amelioration of the position of the Jews and of a few mitigations. For the insulted dignity of man cannot be reconciled to half measures. It demands the complete removal of righteousness. All the Jews of Russia are permeated at present moment by one thought, that the cruel system of endless restrictions and disabilities undermines the very basis of their existence, that it is impossible to continue such a life. Worn out by all they have had to go through, and filled with grave anxiety about their future destinies, the Jews are waiting at last for their entire enfranchisement. They are waiting for a radical repeal of all restrictive laws, so that, enjoying freedom and equality with all others, they may, shoulder to shoulder with other citizens of this great country, work for its welfare and prosperity. A memorandum couched in more resolute terms was sent by 26 Jewish communities, Moscow, Odessa, and others, and by the radical groups of the communities which had signed the first petition. We declare, the memorandum states, that we look upon the attempt to satisfy and appease the Jewish population by any partial measures of improvement as doomed to failure. We expect equal rights as human beings in whom the feeling of human dignity is alive as conscious citizens in a modern body politic. The memorandum of the Vilna community made the following addition to the last clause. As a cultured nation, we demand the same rights of national cultural self-determination which ought to be granted to all the nationalities that go to make up the Russian body politics. Memorials and telegrams addressed to the President of the Committee of Ministers with the demand for equal rights were also sent by many individual Jewish communities. In the meantime, the general revolutionary movement in Russia proceeded apace. Professional organizations were springing into existence, such as the leagues of railroad workers, engineers, and lawyers. Here and there, huge railroad strikes were called. The college youth were in a state of ferment and often went on strike. The agitation was answered by rifle shots and Cossack whips, which were used to disperse the demonstrators. The extreme wing of the Socialist Party resorted to terroristic acts. A tremendous sensation was caused by the assassination of Grand Duke Sergius, the Governor-General of Moscow, February 4, one of the most detestable members of the House of Romanov. The Grand Duke, whose name was bound up with the expulsion of tens of thousands of Jews from Moscow in 1891, and with the cruel oppression of the Jewish colony still left there, was the victim of a bomb thrown by a non-Jew, the social revolutionist Kalayev. The surging tide of the revolution intimidated Nicholas II and wrested from him still another concession. On February 18, 1905, three enactments were published. An imperial manifesto condemning the revolutionary unrest at a time when the sanguinary war in the Far East was going on and calling upon all well-intentioned persons to wage war against the internal sedition. A rescript addressed to Bulygin, Minister of the Interior, announced the decision of the Tsar 
to invite their worthiest men invested with the confidence of the nation and chosen by the population to participate in the consideration of legislative project, in other words, a popular representation with merely consultative rights. Finally, a new case addressed to the Senate granted permission to private persons and institutions to lay before the government their views and suggestions relating to the perfection of the well-being of the state. The progressive elements of Russia were not in a mood to be reconciled to the duplicity of these enactments in which threats and concessions followed upon one another or to the pettiness of the concessions in themselves. They took, however, full advantage of the permission to lay their views before the government and indulged in an avalanche of resolution and declarations demanding the substitution of a parliamentary system of government for the existing system of autocracy. The Jewish institutions joined in this general campaign. The oldest Jewish organization, the Society for Diffusion of Enlightenment among the Jews in St. Petersburg, at a meeting held on February 27th, adopted the following resolution. The proper organization of Jewish education such as would be in keeping with the social and cultural peculiarities of the Jewish people will only be possible when the Jews will be placed on a footing of complete equality of rights with the rest of the Russian population. As a firm guarantee of the untrammeled cultural development and the complete equality of all nationalities, it is necessary that the legislative power and the administrative control of the country shall have the cooperation of popular representatives to be elected upon the basis of the universal, direct, and secret vote of all citizens of the country without any distinction of nationality, denomination, or calling. The need of a non-partisan political organization to direct its struggle for Jewish emancipation which was to be waged by all classes of Jewry outside the small fraction which had already been united in the labor organization of the Bund was universally felt. Such an organization was formed at the Conference of Public Spirited Jews, which took place in Vilna at the end of March 1905. It assumed the name of the League for the Attainment of Equal Rights for the Jewish People in Russia and proclaimed as its object the realization to their full extent of the civil, political, and national rights of the Jewish people in Russia. The complete civil emancipation of the Jews, the assurance of their proportionate participation in the Russian popular representation, the freedom of national cultural self-determination in all its manifestations in the shape of a comprehensive system of communal self-government, the freedom of language and school education, such was the threefold program of the League. It was the first attempt of a Jewish organization in modern history to inscribe upon its banner not only the demand for the civil and political, but also for the national emancipation of the Jewish people, the first attempt to obtain liberty for Jewry as a nationality and not as a mere denominational group forming part of the dominant nation as had been the case in Western Europe during the 19th century. 
The Central Bureau of the League was located in St. Petersburg, composed of 22 elective members, half of whom lived in the capital, M. Vinavo, G. Sliosburg, L. Bremson and others, and the other half in the provinces, Dr. Shmariyahu Levin, S. M. Dubunov, M. Ratner and others. The first resolution adopted by the League were in substance as follows. To demand universal suffrage at the elections to the future parliament with a guarantee of proper representation for the national minorities. To influence the Russian public to the end that the general resolutions demanding equality for all citizens should contain an explicit reference to the emancipation of the Jews. To call upon all the Jewish aldermen in the municipal Dumas to resign their post in view of the fact that, under the law of 1892, which had deprived the Jews of their franchise at the municipal elections, these aldermen had not been elected by the Jewish population, but had been appointed by the administration, an act which implied an insult to the civic and national dignity of the Jewish people. The last-mentioned clause of this resolution, adopted at the first conference of the League, proved effective. In the majority of cities, the Jewish members of the municipal Dumas began to tender their resignations by way of protest against the disfranchisement of the Jews in the municipal self-government. At first, the authorities were somewhat embarrassed and made an attempt to appoint other Jews in lieu of those that had resigned, but seeing that the Jewish boycott continued, they became reconciled to the entire absence of Jewish representatives in municipal self-government. The protest of the Jewish aldermen was drowned in the general noise of protests and demonstrations which filled the air during the revolutionary year. End of section 10